are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss. I'm Ulysses Sombrano. I'm Evan Klosky. Back again. And we are the host of the Locked On Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making Locked On Rays your very first listen every day. And remember, Locked on Rays is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked on Rays. Today's episode of Online Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it is where the game starts. Uh, we are pleased to be joined by Evan Klosky, WTSP Channel 10 Sports Director, following the Rays Alstein in the wild card round. Uh, Evan, your take, yeah. your thoughts, your feelings on the Rays exodus so quickly and so low scoring. Uh, I mean, it was everything that we watched for the entire season, right? Unbelievable pitching, horse crap hitting. It just, I mean, and that's being polite about it. Um, the team, right? Eric Neander in the, the season ending press conference said he's never had a team that was this bad at hitting right handed pitching. And Cleveland was an awful matchup in that regard. Uh, the, and, you know, the one run they generate is off a of Jose Siri home run, which for some reason he's a Shane Bieber killer. For some reason, this guy is. Is uh, is Barry Bonds against Shane Bieber? I don't know why. The by the way, the first uh, out he made in that game against Shane Bieber should have been a home run. Uh, like that was crushed. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, the wind with Yandy Diaz in the the second game knocked down his leadoff homer, which I think would have been something of note as well. So you know uh, there were. I mean. Playing the elements there in Cleveland certainly made it hard to hit home runs. Um, that was the only offense generated the entire series, right? Um, so you had two anemic offenses that don't lift the ball, and it came down to the fact that the Guardians hit two home runs and the Rays hit one. The Rays hit a solo homer, and the Guardians hit a two-run and a solo homer. So it just, you know... Whatever it, 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 this team, there's a part of me that says they, you know, making it to the playoffs was a success with the lineup. We can look back and they trotted out in July, end of July, like beginning of August, right? When we were talking, like, you know, five years, we're going to look back and be like, what the heck was going on here? Um, but then the other part of me is just, you know, it again, ta- you know, talking, uh, with Eric Neander, listening to Eric Neander, just, you know, there's disappointment, right? Like this, this is the fourth year making it to the postseason and you want to see progress and especially coming after whatever, you know, the, the 2020 short, the 2020 shortened season, which is a little bit misleading, uh, only in a sense that it was a shortened season and, you know, things are inherently different with that. Uh, it's a smaller sample size. But you felt like they had the big experience with them. And I think it just goes to show you, like, maybe last year was the bad pitching. This year was the bad hitting. And hopefully next year it materializes into 
both sides coming together. But I mean, look at the team we the the, the Rays had last year and this year. Like it's night and day, and it still I think eats at that organization. The fact they they got bounced out so quickly last year because this year this team kind of felt like this was the end result. What what was Are we surprised? surprised? Not surprised. Okay, well, let's talk about surprises. What what was more surprising to you? In his third start, Tyler Glasnow goes five scoreless and, and looks like a like $25 million a season, a season, or the fact that in 24 innings, the race can only score one run. What was more surprising to you? Uh, what was more surprising to me was uh, the, the one run. Uh, my... My feeling on it is I do not believe that I think this offseason needs to be a, a a meeting of the minds between Kevin Cash and the front office. And I think the way that things were and the th- way that things are need to come together. I, I, I think that Kevin should have been a little bit more creative in that series to get runs now albeit nobody was getting on base. So there's a problem with that. Kevin said that, uh, you know, he felt like his hitters were pressing. Nobody was really walking a lot. Um, But not that it mattered because, you know, uh, Kluber gave up a home run at the bottom of the inning. So at the very least, it would have been a 1-1 contest. But I I go back to that that 15th inning, and you, you have first and third, and to me, I thought you had to send, um, what was it, Margot on first? Uh, Did the hit? It, was, um, um, it was Mejia um, at the plate. It was, was Ruhan at third and Margot at first. I correct. believe you're right. Margot should have went on uh, the first pitch and gotten picked off. Like a little league play. Like I, I thought, and if they don't throw down, now you have second and third you know, uh, one out and now a single brings in two. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and not to mention, you know, in those scenarios, like a suicide squeeze is a possibility. You know, I, I was getting to the point where like, yo, should freaking Bruhan think about stealing home? Like that's like, I mean, yeah. I, that's the rash, like that's an irrational thought that I'm having. And I'm thinking that might be a better chance of scoring than what they're going to do right now. But you know, it is what it is. It just it, it was just a little bit mind-boggling that they couldn't the Rays for so long have built themselves on like high OBP and, and just like, you know, if you're not gonna hit home runs, getting on base and stealing and doing all this stuff and using athleticism. And I just I don't know. I like it just felt like they were hoping that something would materialize. And it just it just it wasn't like you had to enter that series saying, I need to get my guys cooking somehow, some way. And, and and I think more than ever, you got to establish the bunt. I mean, I asked Kevin about that. He doesn't think that's going to be really a big thing in the future. But I do think that teams are bunting more. They're allowing their speed to kind of force the issue. And if they don't present power options into this lineup, they need to be super creative about what they're doing with their talent moving them about the base paths and trying to manufacture runs, which is why I'm okay with how many times they were caught stealing this year. I'm not so okay with some of the bogus 
base path decisions that were made along the way. There were some that were egregious, but I rather them get outs that way than try to wish upon a star that the offense is going to click for an entire postseason, which it was not. You you talk about uh, bunts. The Phillies, I think, did like four sacrifice bunts in, right. in in the whole season, and I think they're up to like six or seven in the playoffs. So you can see how ev- every run matters in the in, in the playoffs. And I, I I like what you're saying. Why was there not more creativity in those two games when you're really looking bad? Now you we we talked about this endlessly, and I think we're going to keep talking about it, Kevin and I. The, the the offense looked very one-dimensional. It, they were all swinging for the fences. There was no adjustment made at all to their approach. It was just swing away. Even Kevin Cash said they were swinging for the three-run home run with nobody on base. So my question is this. What is happening? Was there Were the coaches and Kevin Cash not telling the guys, hey, you guys need to change the approach? Like, were they telling that to the players or and the players are not listening to them, or is the coaching staff just keeping mums the word and not telling the players, hey, this is something that needs to be changed? Because I feel like either way, whatever happened, it's probably a bad thing that's happening. Before you answer that, Evan, before you answer that, uh, I have breaking news here, very important stuff, uh, and that's betonline.net. Betonline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season, you can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering info with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events. So head over to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it is where the game starts. All right, Evan, take it away with your answer, your response. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I think when you hit the postseason, you are who you are. You can try to tinker and advise and suggest and do all these things, but... When you're in the postseason, it's not the time to start deconstructing things. It's just you are who you are. And Yandi was fantastic all season, and he was dealing with a shoulder injury, and you don't know how much that hampered him, but didn't hit great. Uh, I don't even want to say didn't hit great. He hit bad. He was poor. He wasn't even getting on base. Um, wasn't even drawing walks. Wander Franco, who is uh, – uh, you know, regardless of the power we didn't see. And Kevin Cash said, you know, he he's most excited to see what Wander can do next year because this was a really, really tough year. Wander never in his history playing for the Rays in the minor league system ever had an injury. And he had two. One was a soft tissue, which was sort of starting to emerge from last year, which seems like a recurring problem. A bit worried about that. The, the ham and bone thing is like, Super unlucky. That is just a freak injury. So that that just sucked. But Wander wasn't doing anything. He was striking out as well, um, which is a bad sign that he's not right. Uh, Harold Ramirez. I mean, when did that guy slump? And he's you know he's logging zero for fives, and uh, 
and that's terrible to see. So, I mean, and not to mention Randy Rosarino, who we all, I think, at the end of the season, his numbers were there. He was the most, he was the most consistent Ray hitter throughout the season. But in that consistency is inconsistency, right? He is, the highs are high and the lows are lows. And at the end of the season, man, uh, October Randy was nowhere to be found. He, his swing was broke. I mean, there was a couple of hangers there that um, should have been pelted out of the park with him. And he's swinging over them. He, he's, he's, you know, you, I just remember Kevin Cash always talking about this early in the season, right? You're taking strikes and you're swinging at balls. That's kind of what Randy was doing. He had no idea what to do. He was so not confident in what was going on. And when those top four aren't doing anything, what what are you going to do? I mean, you know, the, your your horses didn't show up. So I I tend to believe that it was just simply whatever the staff was saying and whatever they were trying to do, it just kind of went all out the window when it got into game time. And they pressed. And they tried to do too much. And they weren't working counts the way they should have. Um it yeah, it was. It just was a rough scene all around. I don't think there's one thing to pinpoint it. I think they just didn't show up, and so you know, it is what it is. Well, we've entered uh, depression mode and locked on race, uh, <laughs> and I think Kevin uh, <laughs> Kevin's internet might have might have gone out. So we're gonna keep up um, until he rejoins us. <laughs> I, I do want to say there was one particular play that really really bothered me. Um, it was in the 10th inning of the second game and Isaac Paredes is taken out, pinch hit for, wait for it, Taylor Walls. There was a man on first, Choi had gotten on with a walk, Bruhan pinch runs for him. The idea is to bunt him over, even though everybody has been swinging for the fences for the last 19 innings. He tries one bunt. It goes horribly wrong. It, it, it goes into the 200 stands in, mm. and b- behind home plate. The second attempt never happens. They go swing away. Why on earth would you ever take out the guy who could potentially give you a two-run bomb in a game that one run could win you the game? Why would you take that guy out for somebody that has been incredibly ineffective with the bat? And then the idea is to bunt, and then you only take him out for one single bunt. So what does did that play bother you? Because, Evan, it has been bothering me nonstop, and it's been almost a week now. Uh, I'll say this I- – there are like that is one of the many instances that I'm trying to get to with the opening is that the lack of creativity, the lack of commitment to try to move people over to try to play small ball with a lineup that needs to play small ball. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like it was getting to the point where I was like, I don't even care if nobody's on. I want Taylor Walls bunting. I want, you know, Jose Siri's bunting like they, they just I, I understand that they you know Kevin doesn't feel like his team's a good bunting team probably correct uh, I think that's a major league problem period 
players don't know how to bunt anymore. You know, it, it's been out of the game for many years now, and sure. it will be circling back. But uh, I just thought, man, there needed to be some attempts to, to, to just do something. Um, but again, I, you know, I go back to it. It's just they just weren't getting on base. Like, I, I don't know if there's one thing to be frustrated about. It's just like they they just stunk as a collective unit. Like they couldn't hit. And and I can I mean, we can go through all the games where they scored three or less runs. You know, it Didn't just their seven there's last Kevin, wasn't it like the last of the of their last nine games, seven they scored two runs or less? It was something egregious like that. Yeah, and, and that gets to my point of Evan, what do you blame or what is your reasoning for why the Rays didn't do better offensively? Is it because they stumbled into the playoffs and they were resting guys too liberally? Was it the chillier conditions than the Rays are used to? Was it just the fact that they're facing more elite pitching? Would Brandon Lau, having a Brandon Lau in the lineup, had made any difference? All Based all, at on all. his postseason history, yeah. it would not have. But I, I will say against righty pitching, it, it, it might have helped. Yeah, heavy righty pitching. He he, he certainly wouldn't have hurt. Uh, he wouldn't have been any worse than what we saw. <laughs> so uh, I do think if there was a postseason that was built kind of for Lau, and I should say a series that was built for Lau, it kind of was this one. Mm-hmm. A team that needs pop and left-handed hitting. So it's all those. It's 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 a the fact that the Rays in starting in September hit a, a, the toughest part of their schedule which is why they looked like a mediocre team because they were playing a much better competition. It's to the notion of just putt-putting your way into the, the playoffs and the lack of fire uh, entering the postseason to really turn up, turn things up and, uh, you know, get the engine started. They were on a, an enormous road trip. To yeah. Let's not discount that. Yeah. Which that is very unfortunate because you know, they had three games tacked on into Boston because of the, the pandemic, or is it not the pandemic, because of the, the, the lockout for a week of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a, you know, a typical six-day stretch was turned into nine, and then they had to fly back to Cleveland where they all started. And then if they would have won that series, they still would have had to go to New York. They would not have been home for two and a half weeks. So that's also yeah. really taxing on a team being kind of on the road that long. Um, but in the end, like pretty much every game they played with Cleveland this season was a coin flip. Their, their teams are incredibly close in talent in the, in philosophy. And I think it's a bit mind boggling that the Rays lost six of eight of those coin flips like that. I mean, that's, that's tough. I mean, you know, the, the odds say, right? You, they should have had two more wins in there somewhere. But the, the one thing that Cleveland has that the Tampa Bay Rays do not have right now, because the hope is that Wander will be it one day, is Jose Ramirez. Having a guy like Jose Ramirez, a superstar like that, changes the team. Jose Ramirez is the one that won the game against uh, Shane McClanahan in game one, the two-run bomb. Jose Ramirez is the one that won game two with the play on Manny Margot in the infield. That was, and that was, that was incredible. That an was incredible, incredible play. Display. Like it is just, I mean, what are you going to do? 
you tip your cap because that was fantastic. But a superstar like that, that's, that is what Wander is supposed to be. And um, Wander was not that this year. He was last postseason. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, that was, he was one of the few positives from that experience. But, um, you know, this has been a very, I mean, harsh reality type postmortem. I, I will say talking um, again with with Kevin and, and, and Eric and, and hearing them uh, at the press conference, they truly believe they are in the best spot um, entering 2023 pitching wise that they've ever been. Um, I think there is a reason why they've made the financial commitment to glass now because they they believe the window is now. If they did not, they would not have paid him. Mm-hmm. So they they thoroughly believe that they are they are going to go for it the next couple of years, um, and that Glass now, McClanahan, uh, the fact that Springs and Rasmussen uh, can can now go through their offseason program schedule, thinking that they're a starter versus potential reliever. That's going to also change their capabilities throughout the season. I mean, that's four guys right there, you know, and and obviously they have, you know, the bullpen guys, which hard to project. Tampa Bay is always going to mix and match and find guys we've never heard of before, and they're going to be, a, uh, you know, a thing. Just please do not throw Yacobonis onto the mound. <laughs> hey, he's um, the next sub uh, three ERA guy in the race. Jimmy Bag of Donuts. I'm calling it now. I'm calling it now. <laughs> I, I I I want to go over that Jose Ramirez thing because that is what the race front office and obviously race fans are hoping that Wander turns out to. But in 2023, there was a quote there by Neander saying it would be I don't know maybe I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like it would be irresponsible or negligent of us to just stand pat. So yes, we need yeah, to it was, yeah, yeah it was something along it was something along the lines of it's not you know not in our DNA to just you know hope that things are going to change. Right. Right. They will. So, they will. Yeah. What does that mean for you, Evan Klosky, mm-hmm. as not only, you know, a, a, a guy who's in the weeds, but also a baseball fan? Like, what does that mean to you? Does that mean uh, a veteran 36 year old Jose Abreu, a 36 th- year old Michael Branley? Or does it mean a guy that you mentioned? During the July trade, actually August trade deadline this year, Christian Walker. Um, what what is that quote? If you can kind of infer what he means, is it a veteran leadership, 35, 36 year old guy who's been there, done that, yeah. or a younger guy who might have a little bit more team control, but could struggle? Everybody could struggle, but when it's a guy, guy, you have a little bit more hope and faith in them than just a three a three year, four year kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is Neander talked about how they are always going to be dependent on youth. But he thought this year was especially difficult because this young group, this young lineup, didn't have a veteran hitter to lean on with experience and consistency. Even though David Peralta did not provide the kind of production they were hoping for, they did really appreciate David Peralta, the human and the experience he brought because he thought it was something the locker room needed. And I would imagine that the person they bring in is going to have to check off both 
experience and power. And that, and I've yelled on this this uh, podcast before, right? They need a dude in the four slot, like they had with Nelson Cruz, who also didn't meet the the production that they wanted at the end of the day. But I think we were all a fan of that move. I don't regret 100%. that move. That's what they should have done. They yeah. need a guy like that in the middle of this lineup that is a feared hitter, you know, and not to mention he should be batting behind Wander to help him out, get him going, get him seeing pitches. So you need, you need something. And I think he just felt like the, um, uh, the, there was no guy, there was no head honcho. So to my, my thoughts on what I think are going to happen, I, you know, there I'm sure there's going to be something that shocks us in the off season. Because there always, always is. Yeah. There always is. Um, but look, uh, first base is an obvious position that they need to fix. Um, you know, I think the days of G-Man Choi are gone. Um, I've said that before. Even with the shift, even with the shift ending, do you? So, do you- so an interesting question with that when. When Neander was asked about the shift, he said it really doesn't matter as much as you think it does because if the shift is helping us, it's also helping somebody else. Everyone is getting the shift. Uh, everyone's getting the shift help. So it, it's a wash. In, in the end, it's a wash. Correct. So, like, okay, so now Choi's hitting more, but, like, you know, other hitters are hitting more and that's just raising the level for everybody in general for lefties. He already thinks in the end, like a guy like Brandon Lau is going to benefit from that greatly. Um, and, and, and I don't even think that we know the creativity that's going to be held into the shift, right? Just because you put two infielders on the right side, it doesn't mean that you can't bring the outfielder in. Right. I think sure. that, that, I think that the shift really uh, makes Vidal Brujan a, a very valuable asset, in my opinion, not only because of speed with the the base size, but also if you are going to bring in an outfielder to play sort of an infield position to avoid the shift constraints, mm-hmm. now you have an infielder outfielder to play that. And I think Perfect. that's probably the way to fix that. And you might have to live with the double that's going to, you might have to just shift your center fielder over. You have Jose Siri, right? We assume that Siri is going to be the guy and Kiermaier yeah. is going to go on somewhere else. Maybe something changes there. I know they love Kiermaier, um, but you might just have to shift Siri over and live with the results of a potential double or triple, you know, here or there to get more outs than not. So, you know, that's, one of those things that I think will be figured out along the way. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's going to be a complete reexamination of the offense. And I think there's so much creativity that can happen over the off season, how to fix it, that it's really tough to hone in on what's going to happen. But I will say they tried to get Freddie Freeman in the off season. They knew first base was a, a position that they wanted to upgrade in. I still think that remains true. They really need a power. First base can be a power position in your lineup. And it's a position where you don't need to depend on defense. I think it's a spot where they should absolutely try to just get somebody in there who can provide instant pop. And it's, they don't have to rip their hair off worrying about like, Oh no, he's not versatile enough or he, you know, he can't play defense well enough. 
So that, to me, it, it starts with kind of getting the arbitration guys settled, figure out the 40-man, get rid of whoever you got to get rid of, bring in new prospects to fill in the, the system a little bit to clear up your space. Uh, what are you doing with Kiermaier and Zanino? And then after that, then it's attacking the free agent market. So, you know, I, I know that Mark Topkin wrote this. I would not be surprised if Randy was traded that that was their big move. Right. But I also think that's fairly foolish at the price that he's at right now, unless the fight that he had with Yandi, unless there's something brewing that we don't know about. And I, I mm-hmm. certainly don't know about it. I'm just saying that to me, it would have to be something that's um, we don't, it'd have to, it'd have to be something along those lines where it, you think that the clubhouse isn't loving him mm-hmm. to trade him because I, I still think he's way too valuable, right? He went 20, right. 20, 20, 30 and I, the ups and the, the highs and highs and lows and lows. I don't care. In the end, he was the most consistent Ray hitter on a team that couldn't hit. So I, yeah. and he's a great price. So it mm-hmm. better be an offer that blows you away if you're right. trading him, or it better be something that we don't know about if you're trading him. Yeah. And again, his value, like you said, it may not be any higher. I don't know if it, this is his peak. He should be in his peak years right now. So you better be getting some sort of haul um, for that. But uh, so is, do you have one name in mind as to who that power bat is that you'd like to see that is reasonable in a Rays uniform? Is it Jose Abreu? Is it yeah, something like that? I mean, it just depends on what his price is. I mean, you have to take a little bit of risk there with the age, right? But yeah. I think I think Jose Abreu would be he really fits kind of the identity of what Neander likes, what this Rays team likes. And um, I, I think he would be a tremendous leader, a guy, a guy that has a lot of experience under his belt and, and somebody who can freaking lift the ball. So yeah. I, th- I, I think that makes complete sense. And I don't see why he would want to return to Chicago. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's uh, a mess of a clubhouse. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I think I, I think that's a, a, a pretty good bet, but, but I don't think that that would necessarily be all either. So, you know, I, I, I genuinely think that there's going to be a lot, a lot of tinkering offensively and maybe minor moves here to there my, on the pitching side. I like my, my uh, veteran pitcher they signed for eight to ten million per year prediction is a guy like Noah Syndergaard. You know, that seems I, like the. I said that. I yeah, thought. He, I think his stuff is so good that if you just put him in a race pitching lap with Kyle Snyder and all the information they have, man, would that I, be nasty? But he did make twenty-two million dollars this season. He's gonna command something around those lines. Can the Rays actually afford that much money in one guy? I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's be honest though. Twenty-two million dollars in LA is like eight million dollars in Florida. So, yeah, <laughs> and I also want to say that he was signed to a one-year show me deal, and he didn't quite show me show what he me. wanted to show me. Right, so he's got to go yeah. another show me deal. I mean, you know, he was a you know per fan grass. I know that's not a fan here. Um, a 2.2 war pitcher, you know, and he was, you know, before his injury, he had back-to-back four war seasons. So, yeah. you know, the Angels, when they signed him, were banking off of a four-win pitcher on a one-year deal and, and overpaid in that regard. You know, I personally don't think that, like, 
12 to 13 million is out of the question to sign Syndergaard. Like he's not striking out people the way he used to. So, I mean, his, his, his K per nine is, it was 6.35 this season. This was a guy that like his entire career lived in double digits and was no less than nine. Um, I mean, his entire career, he was no less than nine. And then he went Get to him in a room with Kyle. Get him in a room with Kyle. Do so, write the check. It should work. Yeah, he's a, he, and I think I think that's the way. I mean, if Noah is serious about extending his career, wanting the big payday, I mean, how many times have Rays pitchers graduated into? Endless. I don't know, and and they can sell him on Corey Kluber. Yo, Kluber was never freaking healthy. Made it through the whole year. And he was decent. Most innings pitched. Most innings pitched, Evan. Nobody would have said that. Nobody would have put Green Skittles no. on that line on that. I think Kevin was really close one time, but he, he didn't pull the trigger. I don't think. Yeah. Um, great job, Evan. Uh, where and how can people find your work? Yeah, uh, at 10 uh, Also on Twitter, at WTSP. Uh, you can find me on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hit me up. Send me your questions. Uh, you know, I'll always respond uh, unless you're being a jerk. If you're being a jerky pants, not yeah. happening. Um, but yeah, uh, hit us up. Uh, you know, we got Buccaneers season. You know, hopefully they're they're heading to another Super Bowl. The Lightning just started their season, uh, believe it or not. So we're going to be heavy bucks and bolts. Um, but, you know, the December meetings will come soon enough. You know, the Rays always surprise us with moves. And I guarantee you with this early exit, Neander and company are itching to make some moves and they will act quickly once the World Series is over. Will the Lightning average more points per game this season than the Rays averaged runs per game this season? (laughs) Uh, Yes. I don't, I, I, um, that's no, confident. He you, yeah. you didn't even. I don't know. You could have the answer. You could have. You could have put me into Tampa's little league team, and uh, <laughs> I would have. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, come on. I like. I just. You know, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but it was a bad offense. <laughs> it was a bad. Yeah. Like, I, again, I, like you said, play. Do the USF college softball approach: small ball, bunt left and right. All you got to do. The biggest decrease in MLB from runs scored per game in 2021 to 2022 belongs to the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to go through another one because you know it certainly hurts losing Brandon Lau and Mike Zanino. I mean, that's like what uh, like close to 70, 80 home runs. Assuming that they were to replicate what their right. performances were, which there's an argument to be made that they were never going to do that again. But um, I mean, that's. You I mean, definitely lost some production. Maybe that's I mean, like, You know, you lost. Like, like you watch Cal Raleigh for the Mariners. Like that's yeah. what Zanino was supposed to do, right? Yeah. I mean, a guy low average, high slugging, and that was the the you know. So, uh, in that I mean, Zanino coming back would probably be more of a byproduct of how much they love him behind the plate, maybe more than you know thinking that the bat is going to be a thirty home run bat again. But you know, they they. I, I, me, he, you know, they got to figure out what they want to do. If, uh, you know, do they like Bethencourt? Do they think there's something there? Mm-hmm. You know, I like Mejia as a backup. I think he's very effective in a, in a limited role. So, you know, catcher is still a bit of an al- albatross unless they want to trade for your boy, Sean Murphy. Yeah, there we go. That's an option too. 
Um, thank you for making the Locked on Rays podcast your very first listen every day. Now make your second listen, the Locked on MLB podcast. That is also free and available on all platforms. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe, and we will talk to you next week.